This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. I get excited when I hear about everything that's going on in the church. I don't know about you, but when you hear about things that are happening with street church, with our school outreaches, with the red couch evangelism, uh, I don't know, do you get excited? Because I definitely get excited. And, you know, often I can't sleep at night. I'm like, Lord, what else is going to be happening? What else is going on? And if you're not at that place of expectancy, if you're not at that place of expectancy, you have to ask yourself, why am I not there? If I'm not expecting something and excited about what tomorrow brings and what God could do tomorrow, then we've got to ask ourselves if my faith is engaged. Because if it's not engaged, there can be no transfer from what God's kingdom wants to give into our kingdom here on this earth or his kingdom operating through us. Um, there's always a battle of kingdoms. Everyone say battle of kingdoms. There's his kingdom and my kingdom. And in order for us to get his kingdom, we have to relinquish our kingdom so that his kingdom can become our kingdom. And so often we're battling, we're saying, well, this is my will, God. This is, this is what I feel like I need to be doing. And God is saying, well, here's my will for you. And the thing is, if we look at our life through the scope of a finite world, it's very easy to become distracted. How many of you know that it's bad to plan a year or to plan two months when you're trying to plan a year? Like it's bad, it's bad to plan your finances for 60 days when you're trying to last a whole year. It doesn't make sense, does it? You have to look at what the end game is. So the end game in our life is eternity. It's eternal life in heaven. For those of us who believe and have confessed and who are walking with Christ, this life is nothing. This life is just a speck. James says that this life is just a vapor. A vapor. And so if I look at today, and, and let me just show you how this works, because we start off excited about what God is doing, ready to do his will, and then maybe we jump into what's happening in current reality today, right? This is the newspaper. What's going on in my finite world? And so often, we live for eternity based on what we see in front of us. And so I'm just gonna read this to you, and, and, and you tell me what this prompts you to do. D does this prompt you, and I'm, nothing against the newspaper, um, I'm just gonna read this out. Does this prompt you to live for eternity or does it prompt you to live for now? All right, here we go. More good news on the festival of love. Makes you kind of want to go to the festival of love, right? You're saying, hey, is my, is my love in festivities right now? Maybe I need to challenge my love game. The tragedy and triumph of Andy Brown. And then you've got a few, few, uh, few interesting things here. Tackling polygamy in the first wife. All right. Interesting. Sketch comedy ripe for the picking. Um, carry on. Be an early bird. Don't miss out. Be an early bird. Now, now, now you're saying, sheesh, I, I probably need to be an early bird in this, and, and maybe I need to channel my funds towards this so I don't lose out here in this, in this uh, finite world, right? The tra tragedy and triumph. Bridal expo. The bridal expo. I'm not getting married, but you know what? If I'm thinking about it, I should probably act in faith and just go be at the bridal expo so I can start picking out what I'd like to have at my wedding, even though I'm single. My wife is a control freak. Hmm. Maybe my wife is also a control freak. You start thinking like, 
yeah, I, I saw the way that she, uh, she made me breakfast today. It was like, she gave me what she thought I wanted, not what I really wanted. <laughs> the drunk won't marry me. Mom wants to skip my wedding. Okay. And then there's a bridal, another bridal ad. Like, very interesting, right? Mom wants to skip my wedding, but come become a bride. Letters in red. Will the truth ever prevail? Ocean waves in new leaders. The next t title, how much abuse can we take? And you start thinking about all the abuse in your life. How much abuse can I take? Tete said, I should be everything to my husband. How much abuse can you take? <laughs> and then it says, technology for Africa, a pathway to industrialize, an industrialized content. Then another says, fairy tale with the worst wedding. And the last one says, drugs, alcohol, and allergy deliverance with some guy. I'm not gonna say his name. <laughs> All right, and then we have empowerment through music. How do we become empowered through music? And so. I, I don't know what that does to you, but as I'm starting to read that, all of a sudden you start looking at, okay, this is, this, is, this is my reality. This is my life. This is what everyone's living for. But if you just live your life according to what you read in scripture, in, in, sort of, according to what you read in the newspaper or what's around you, we can miss something absolutely dramatic that relates to eternity. But now if you add this newspaper with the word of God that's eternal, then guess what? Everything starts to change and, and shift. We don't know a lot about death, but we know that 10 out, of people, 10 out of 10 people die, right? That's a stat. We also know that up until the age you're 30, your brain can't actually comprehend, this is studies, your brain can't actually really comprehend what it's gonna be like when you die, or, or, or even that you're even afraid of dying. So you just, you know, that's why all these young people do crazy stuff. Um, I used to be like that. Now as I'm entering into my 30s, I'm like, wait, I, I shouldn't be doing some of those things. But, but we, don't, we don't know too much about eternity, especially if you're not, if you're not reading Scripture and you're not listening to Jesus' words. It's, it's a foreign thing. So foreign, it's almost like this. If all of a sudden we're sitting here right now and we see huge hands break through that word up there, faith, and open up a huge hole in the side of the building, and it's a 30-foot giant with wings, and he opens it up and he looks inside and he says, hello, Celebration Church. <laughs> Your mind would be blown. In fact, it would be so blown, it, whether you're Christian or not, you would probably just look at him and say, I don't know who you are, but I realize I know nothing because I didn't think you existed. And we couldn't find you with all our science. And who are you? You know probably more, and many of us may even just kneel, like we don't know who you are, but you're big, and, and, and you, look like, you look like you have it together. Like we're just gonna, we, we don't know what's going on anymore. Like we don't even know if there is a moon. We just know you're there, and we're just gonna kind of yield to you right now. But, 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 but then, if, if we would do that in one moment of crazy shift in life, where something like that would happen, we, we know, the same amount of stuff that we know about this figment of our imagination that would break through the walls of Celebration Church is the same amount we know without scripture about the afterlife. We have no idea unless we listen to the words of Jesus. And then we know and it becomes exciting. Turn to your neighbor and say, there is something coming.
turn to another neighbor and say, it's going to be great. Here's the question, is when you're living for today and you're living for eternity, each day and day, is are you ready for the final day where you breathe your last breath? Do you feel like you're prepared in your heart and your soul? Do you feel like you're prepared to meet Jesus if you would die today? This is the question. So the, the title of my message is, What If We Weren't Ready? And it's an amazing thing to think about. Two weeks ago, I was, I was at Joburg Church, and um, I was preparing to, to speak, and this little girl came up. She was four years old, and she started reciting all the scripture. Amazing, amazing girl with an amazing heart, and she recited it like she was reading from it, and her parents had raised her well. And I just remember leaving going, wow, I, I can't, I'm just, I'm just excited about what's going on. And, and to see a little kid like that, no scripture, it just blesses you. Have you ever seen that before? It just blesses your heart, right? And the next day, um, I found out she was in a car accident. Four years old, in a car accident. And they said she was in, in intensive care. And we prayed for her. We sent people to, to, to pray with her. Um, we prayed together as a church. And then the next day, this four-year-old girl passed away. And you realize how finite life actually is. And how do you get over that, the brokenness of losing someone who's four years old? The only way you can get over that is by an assurance that there is a heaven and that Jesus loves his children so much. Because without that, I don't think that it's even possible to get over. I don't even think it's possible to get any peace from that. And so we, we continue to hold up the family in prayer and they've been really strong, but it's, 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 there's nothing like losing a daughter um, who is you know, barely five years old. We don't know a great deal about the afterlife. We don't. And I wanna show you something real quick. Let's go to the first slide, please. It's an estimate of 35,000 people die a day without hearing about Jesus Christ. And then it, it, it gets you, to, it gets you to, to ask yourself the question, like, what am I doing? What am I doing to make sure that I extend his kingdom? What am I doing to make sure that eternity is, is, is made alive in someone else's heart? Ecclesiastes 3.11 says, he has put eternity in the hearts of every man. We can't run from it, but we can ignore it, right? Next slide. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. How many of you know that what is definitely coming is a judgment from Jesus and a judgment from God the Father? We can't run from that. Next slide. What we do with the cross, John Bevere said this, determines where we will spend eternity. The way we live as believers determines how we spend eternity. So, Many people are excited to make sure they have the fireproof, right? Um, fire insurance. They're like, hey, listen, I know Jesus and this is great, but I want to show you something later on that may not necessarily keep you just in that safe little cocoon. Next slide. But on the day of judgment, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value whatsoever. Do you ever, do you ever do you, when you read those scriptures, I don't know about you, but I start, the, 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 the scripture that says, work your salvation out with fear and trembling starts to shake in my system. And you start saying, hold on. 
if everything that I do is gonna be weighed, everything that I do is gonna be tested with fire, you start waking up in the morning saying, okay, God, how do, what can I do to make sure that I live for eternity? What can I do to make sure that I'm not just living for my kingdom here on earth? Next slide. C.S. Lewis said this, it is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this world. Again, we've got to ask ourselves is where, where do we live our day-to-day life? Where do we expend our energy? Because if we are living for a finite world, we will miss why we're here. We have to live for an infinite world, which is eternity. And, th- and that poses the question is, what if you're not ready? And I've been wrestling with this because uh, my wife got me this book called Driven by Eternity by John Bevere. And I've been wrestling with this because every person has to have a call of what they did on this earth. Every person will stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and, and, and everything, every part of our body, every thought that we had, every, every, every malicious idea will be exposed to a cloud of witnesses and we will be judged. I wanna show you a picture of what the judgment seat could look like and paint this with me. It's a white throne. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read this actually in Revelation. <clears throat> this is what it says. The great white throne of judgment, glorious in its structure, where we stand before God in his majesty and his glory. Tremble at the feet for the mighty creator. This is who we worship, or at least came to church for. In Revelation 20, it says, it is the final judgment prior to the lost being cast into the lake of fire. Then there's the book of life that's opened in Revelation 20, and it contains records of everyone's deeds, whether they are good or evil, because God knows everything that has been said, done, or even thought and he will reward or punish those people accordingly. Now when I look at that picture and I think about the almighty creator standing in front of me or sitting in front of me, and I come with an open heart and open history of everything that I've done, I don't know about you, but I begin to to shake, just even at the thought of this. Are you ready, what would you feel like standing before Jesus at the judgment day? What would you feel like? Would you be excited? Would you be able to say, Lord, I lived every moment of my life to make sure people heard about you. I lived every moment of my life to figure out how I could pursue your kingdom and push your kingdom agenda. I figured out how, 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 how broken I was and every day I, I, I repented from my sin and, and, and I'm excited to stand before you. Or would it be, I'm not really sure. Like, that's a big white throne. There's a lot of witnesses right here. And I know these are witnesses that were watching me, trying to cheer me on. I'm not sure if they were cheering me on or if they were laughing at all my negative thoughts. And you start picturing, wait, 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 maybe this life isn't that much of a big deal. And I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, I, I would go to the headmaster's office quite a few times, right? And uh, yeah, and um, and it was great because they would always say, how, how, I, I can't expect this from a pastor's son, Tommy. This is absolutely ridiculous. And because they were friends with my dad, my first school. And I was like, and so they would always talk and my dad would know before I even got home, it was terrible. And so I remember going, walking down the cold hallways of the school, St. John's Prep. And I just remember hating every step of it. And I remember thinking about what, what actually did the teacher tell the headmaster? because maybe she missed out a few details and I can sort of skirt around the issues. 
And, 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 and you walk in and you knock on the door, knock, knock, knock. And then he says, hello, Master Deschel. You say, hello, sir. He says, come in, sit down. The whole time I'm trembling. I remember the first time. I was, I was shaking so much. And actually the first time I just started crying. And I think he was going to beat me. I'm pretty sure he was going to beat me because he had his rod like this, you know. And I was like, I was crying. And I, and I don't know what happened, but I think he was shocked that I was crying because we knew each other from church. So it was just a whole different dichotomy. And he was there. And I just started crying. I was like, oh. And then he's like, so what actually happened? I'm like, <laughs> you know, the lip quiver, straight up. And then I just saw him put his, put his staff away, like, okay, I'm not going to do, this guy is already in pain right now. <laughs> and he put it away. But I, but I remember the, the, the feeling that I felt with my headmaster, how much more so the feeling with Jesus. How much more so the feeling at the end of our life when we have to stand before and say, I'm giving an account, Lord. And, and how would you say that? Would you say, I'm giving an account, Lord. Or would you say, I am here to give an account of your glory, Lord. You worked through me in such amazing ways, and I am thankful to be standing before you. And so this is shaking my heart because, because, because we don't have enough time. When you have a four-year-old girl pass away, who's to say that tomorrow is not your day? And it's not about fear. I'm not saying like tomorrow you could die from a truck. I'm saying, it, it's, but it's about looking inside and saying, am I ready? If tomorrow was the day, am I ready? Because we should always be ready. Jesus said, be on the lookout, right? You know the seasons of time, but you know the seasons of what's going on in the kingdom realm. So you're looking through this. What about a lie detector test? How many of you would like to be hooked up to a lie detector test today? It's funny, hey? Everyone's laughing because you know you're telling lies somewhere. <laughs> no, no, no one's telling the truth the entire time. And, 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 and actually, let's just do this real quick. Think about... Three, three questions you would not want to be asked on a lie detector test right now. Just, just think about them. How's your thought life? Have you, have you been thinking about things you shouldn't be thinking? Were you honest in a deal? Were you completely honest? Do you feel like forgiveness is in your heart or do you feel like you've held on to bitterness and anger? When you stand before Jesus, will you be holding on to unforgiveness? Will you be holding on to sin that you never dealt with? Will you be ready? See, Hebrews 6 verse 1 says that, let us not lay again the foundation of eternal judgment. You know, we, we, so, so often we don't like to talk about eternal judgment because we're like, hey, listen, let's talk about the blessing. Let's talk about the love. Let's talk about the grace. Let's talk about the mercy. But eternal judgment, let's keep it over there. Why? Because it's a little scary. Well, it should be scary. Because Jesus says, work your salvation out with fear and trembling. Because this life is so small. And I'm going to show you how the enemy distracts us very quickly because it's unbelievable how quickly we can get distracted. And for those of us who think that it's all about just a confession of the mouth, we've got to think differently about this. Judgment means a decision resulting from investigation. So again, if someone were to investigate every area of your life, what would they decide? This man is an absolute kingdom person who loves Jesus or, wow, he definitely went to church. We know that. And he said a prayer every Easter and every Christmas morning. What if we missed it? What if we so focused so much on this current reality that we missed eternity? What if we heard our voice and not the voice of God? 
But Tommy, how does a loving God eternally punish someone for a short time on earth? That doesn't seem fair, does it? People say this to me all the time. How does a loving God put people in hell? God didn't put people in hell. The enemy rejected God, was condemned by him because he wanted nothing to do with God, and God created a place where people who rejected him would be apart from his holiness, apart from his mercy, apart from everything that they shunned in this life. So it's not, it's not God didn't create hell for human beings. He created hell for the enemy, but the enemy was so focused on self-indulgence, the enemy was so focused on me and what's mine and what I should, what I should be getting here right now instead of God, what, what, how can we worship you? How can we serve you with what we do? So it's not about God being an unjust God. He is just. For how just would it be for someone to live their life dedicated to him, broken before him, and who lives a righteous way and then just to add all the unrighteous people to that group? Like, all right, well, hey, we're just gonna add everyone together. How just is that? God protects what he loves and he protects his presence and he protects his people, right? So let me show you this real quick. If you could just show the next PowerPoint, saved from. So in order for us to really grasp why we're on this earth, we have to realize what we're saved from. If you don't realize what you're saved from, you can't really appreciate it, can you? You, know, you understand? And saved to become. What are we saved to become? And then what are we saved to do? So many Christians don't understand this right here, which is why we can aimlessly walk around someone who may not be Christian and not even think twice about their soul. In business meetings, we should be praying under our breath, like, God, I don't know if this person knows you, but let me figure out how to just sow a seed. Let me figure out how to water this person with your love. But, but if we're, unless we know what we're saved from, we're not trying to save anyone else from the same thing either. I went, to, I went on honeymoon with my wife, all right? I talk about my honeymoon a lot, it seems. Um, it was a great time. But there was one time where it could have been destroyed. We went to this place up in the mountains, in the Thai mountains, and in a place called Pagna. And I found this place on the internet. It looks absolutely amazing. And uh, we get into this car, and they're playing like this weird 60s, 50s music. Very strange music, guys. Like, like weird music, like, I loved you, but I'm not sure if I really do. Like that kind of stuff. <laughs> so you're like looking, looking at each other like, oh man, okay. <laughs> you know, hopefully that's not a sign things come. And we arrive, and no one speaks English at this place, okay? So it's not like, I guess it's not a tourist place, but I, I want to do something funky, you know, if you know my style. Like, let's just risk it a little bit. So I risked it, and it didn't work. But anyway, we went out, and... We, we, we were in this place where there's like 2,000 chalets in this weird, eerie lake, okay? And we're the only people in the entire place. Paradise is not paradise if you're alone, let me tell you that. So, so we get into the lobby, they're playing the same music from the car, right? So they obviously don't have many CDs. And you're looking at this place and you're like, no ways, this is terrible. We get into this like little train and they take us the, 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 the place is a huge property with 2,000 chalets, like full chalets, like houses. And they take us round to the backside of the darkest point in the whole mountain area where there's this weird guy in this like phone booth with no phone just smiling at us like this. So I look at my wife, I'm like, babe, I'm not sure if we're at the, at the right place here. We get off, the guys don't speak English, so they just say something in like Thai, like, and I'm like, all right, great. Great. 
So then we get there, we come back later for dinner, which is at the other side of the reception. So we get another train all the way back to reception. And we're sitting, and as we come up to um, the dining area, there's like 12 waiters welcoming us. Just 12, and we're the only people there. So we have to shake 12 waiters' hands. Like. So this is not the delightful honeymoon experience you would like. So we sit down, and they're all watching us eat like this. So I'm now concerned, hey? Then, <laughs> then, then, then uh, so then we come back to our room, and um, all of a sudden I start remembering some stuff about like, you know, trafficking in, in, in Thailand. And I'm like, why would they put us away from everything in the mountains where there's no fence? And who was that guy in the phone booth? And then that night, um, we tried to like call and like, and, uh, and, and call reception, the phones were cut. The internet wasn't working. And I was like, babe, this is crazy. This could be our last night. Then we started hearing noises on the roof. No, I'm serious, guys. It was absolute mayhem. The next day, we got up. We went straight to the internet cafe there at the hotel. We booked another room, got a taxi, left. And I'm telling you, when we arrived at this new hotel on the beach with a cliff face, I was like, my goodness, this is absolutely amazing. Because I knew where we'd come from. I knew where we'd come from. And, and, and I looked. And, 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 and at first, I just wanted to make sure there were people there. So I was walking around the hotel like, is there anyone else here? Because I don't want to be the only one. Let me tell you something. Hell, it's you and you alone. It is you. It is you. Are, you are completely cut off from the grace and love of Jesus Christ. You're looking around and you can't converse with anyone. You're saying, and it's just you and your thoughts and your, and your depravity and your delusion. Some people say, oh, well, if, 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 if I'm in hell, there'll be a lot of celebrities there, so we'll just be jawling it up. That's not how it works. You're so cut off. You're so much in torment. I'm going to read you about someone who, who actually went, went to hell and had this experience. But unless we know what we're saved from, we will never become what God's called us to be. So here's the thing. John Burke, a guy called John Burke who says, imagine eternity, imagine heaven, interviewed 120 people with near-death experiences. All of them aligned with the Bible. Every single one of them had elements from Scripture that said, this confirms what is happening in the afterlife. Do we have a life with no meaning? Jesus saved us from a life with no meaning. He saved us from pain and suffering. He saved us from eternity in hell, away from God. He saved us from the smell of sulfur and the burning flesh and the burns that would never end. And there was no relief from this pain. He saved us from that. Call a Christian. Not Carl Strider, another call. Carl decided it was time to get out of the army. He was a Christian, he'd grown up in church, but he said he would go AWOL, which is just missing in action. He hitchhiked to Ohio to see an old friend, and he went on a two-night, two-week drug binge, right? Christian on a drug binge, yep. One night, Carl went to a crack house in the worst part of Columbus, Ohio. You could smell the stench of the crack cocaine. You could also smell the stench of marijuana, people high and laying across the floors. Carl smoked some crack and started drinking alcohol and using other drugs. But he says he believed it was the last pill that he took that sent him on a journey to hell. Carl remembers, I took Valium. And before I knew it, I was off the couch on the floor. It was pitch black dark and I began to quiver and shake. 
I began going down and down a deep pit and started smelling the stench of hell. It's the most rottenest thing you could ever smell in your life. In fact, you can't even imagine it. I began to feel a tugging and a pulling. Like the Bible says, demons tug and nag at you. They were calling my name. We got you. We've got you. We've got you. You belong to us now. I saw souls, lost souls that were in front of the lake of fire. They were crying and calling on God, but they were hopeless. And I called on the name, Jesus, 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 help me. And soon as I called on his name, I saw a hand of God snatch me out of hell and my spirit went back into my body. Carl says that he was in hell for more than half an hour. He was shaking and trembling and turning his head to the right. And they said I was dead, the doctors. And they said it was be 30 to 35 minutes. But I know that the loving God loved me so much. Three days later, Carl returned to Virginia to face the consequences of going AWOL. He was demoted and confined to the barracks for one month. But during that time, he completely surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. I don't think all of us are gonna have an opportunity to experience a taste of hell. One thing that shocked me from the story is that Carl was a Christian. I wanna show you the next slide. Next slide, we, we went through that. We'll go through the next slide. The next thing is, we are saved to become something. How many of you know that the enemy's plan is to hack, deceive, and destroy? Many people say, well, what's the, what's the whole beef with Satan and God? Well, how many of you know that when you create something, there's always someone that wants to destroy it, right? Today, you call them hackers or terrorists, okay? So Satan is the terrorist in heaven. And everything God creates, he's saying, how do I destroy this? Right? And Satan can't, can't create anything. He can only destroy or manipulate what's there. So he broke rank. He hacked into what's being created to destroy it. The enemy will hack into relationships, hack into the church, and hack into your salvation if he can. God's kindness leads us to repentance, but the enemy's lies leads us to compromise. Remember, remember Eve in the garden. I want to tell you two short things real quick, and then we're going to go, what would the devil's ten commandments be? Eve in the Garden of Eden, right? Everyone say Eve. Say it like you mean it. Eve. Right? Okay. And so if you look at Eve, when the enemy tempted Eve, the enemy didn't say, hey, Eve, um, let me help you out here. Let me give you a little bit of marijuana, some banja, yeah? Come, come, come. Let me take you on a high. He didn't come and say, hey, here's some pornography. Eve was like, listen, me and my, my guy were already naked. Like that doesn't do anything for me. He didn't come and ask about, but he said, hey, why don't we just up your status just a little bit? He didn't come against God and say, let me tell you something. God is a liar. He's terrible. He came and said, God's there, but how about we just make you a little bit better? How about we just up your status level? How about we just give you a little bit more authority? This is how to do it. Let me show you what the enemy's 10 commandments look like. Are you ready for the enemy's Ten Commandments? Real quick. Okay, so this is the short list. You shall have no other gods before me unless you are passionate about them. Right? Unless you're passionate about something, then you can have other gods before me. You shall not make idols unless you get influence. How many of you know that there's not an agenda from, from the world system that says, let's murder everyone? You, you never hear that, right? It's never against God. It's always to add to what God says, so we twist it. That's why we can have someone like Carl, who knows Jesus, but he's not living in his ways, who has this experience in hell. 
He says, you shall not make the name of the Lord your God in vain or take it unless it just seems fit. You ever challenge someone on like using God's name and they go, well, it just worked. It was, the, it was the appropriate thing to say. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy unless you are busy. Honor your father and mother unless they are bad people and don't understand you. Can you see how crazy it is? There's not an anti-honor movement in the world. No one says, hey, we are gonna be taking votes for the anti-honor movement. All kids should dishonor their parents. No, it's, yeah, honor your mother and father unless, unless they're idiots. You shall not murder unless the person really hurt you or unless you need to have an abortion because you can't afford a kid. You shall not commit adultery. Can you see that? No one's saying, let's kill all the women who have, who have babies. They're saying, listen, we don't really like that, but we should have choice because there are bad situations. Can you see how the commandments can be twisted? You shall, you shall, you shall not steal or you shall not commit adultery unless you feel like it's real love and your marriage is a little stale. Confirm, this is why we have Christians that do this. They reject God's commandments and you're like, what happened? And you're like, well, you don't know. You don't know my situation. I used to come home and my wife used to be like, come here, babe. Now I come home and she looks at me like I'm some crazy person. Do you know what that's like? You see how the enemy comes in? He twists, he twists the truth. And it says, you shall not steal unless you have a huge need or a spending problem. You shall not bear false witness, witness against your neighbor unless you are getting revenge on something they first did to you. <clears throat> you shall not covet unless you've never had anything good, which in this case, it might do your soul a little bit of good. Revelation 21 verse eight says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice the magic arts, the idolaters and every liar will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. And I read this and I'm saying, how? You, you, when you look at your enemy in scope of reality, you can hate them. You can want to destroy them. You can think of crazy ways to blow them up and how to get bombs in their cars. But when you think about infinity and eternity, you can't help but love your enemy. When you think in the scope of, if there is a never ending, thing that happens after we die, you look at every person and go, God, how, how do I help them? When someone does something bad to you and you know they're a Christian, you're like, God, please save their soul. Like, I don't want this to be their case. I don't want them to experience that lake of fire. It's unbelievable. Yes, God's grace is there, but His grace is also just and He separates the darkness from the light. It's like saying to a marriage, hey babe, listen, I will love you for the rest of my life. I will honor you. I will sleep with only you. I will love only you. I will lay my life down for you at the marriage ceremony. And then you go out and you have adulterous relations with five different people. You steal money, you lie, you separate stuff. Then she finds out and you say, I'm so sorry. I'm gonna love you. You're the only one. I'm, 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 I'm not gonna do this anymore. I'm gonna show you all my money, I promise. And then all of a sudden she says, okay, I forgive you. And then you come back and you keep doing all your stuff. And then she finds out again and you say, what happens? Those words mean nothing. That's why it says, confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Guess what? If you believe in your heart, a 
and this, is, and, and this has been a challenge to me because God's saying, Tommy, what do you believe in your heart? Because you can confess all you want, but if it doesn't translate to your heart, which your heart is the way you live, then maybe that confession doesn't mean much. And so we have to wrestle, church. What have we been called to do? <clears throat> Let me show you this. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. What we were saved to be. We are ambassadors of Christ and as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in his name we might become the righteousness of God. Remember what I said? We've got to know what we're saved from. We've got to know what we're saved to become. We are to become the righteousness of God in Christ. Everything that we do, everything that you do should exacerbate or, or I guess express God's righteousness. When you leave a place, can you go? I was an ambassador for God's righteousness there. Or were you an ambassador for your selfish kingdom? It's an amazing thing to think about. But this is what God has called us to become. But unless we know what we're saved from, we can't become what we're called to be. And then the last one is know what we're saved to do. Tell your neighbor, know what you're saved to do. You see, the Bible says, you know, we, we, we take grace sometimes. And we say, hey, grace is there just to cover everything that I want to do all my kind of lifestyle shortcomings and, and things that I kind of, you know, just never really get to in terms of my sin life, grace covers that. Grace has taken our sin away, but grace also empowers us to overcome. The Bible says that blessed are those who overcome for they shall receive their reward. Are we overcomers? Can, have we allowed the grace to help us to overcome these situations? Or do we keep it under the whole like grace, 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 grace message. <clears throat> See, we haven't been saved from a bad school detention. We haven't been saved from a bad little resort. That's weird. We've been saved from eternal life and hell. We've been saved from damnation, a complete cutoff from Jesus and God the Father. Some of the most sobering words Jesus ever said or in Matthew 7, 21 to 23, and he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, we're saved from, so that we're saved to become something, so that we're saved to do something. Lord, Lord, not, not every one of them who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but only those who do the will of my Father, who is in heaven heaven remember the battle my kingdom or God's kingdom my will or his will remember the enemy I can twist the truth to make you think you're still living righteously but in effect grace doesn't cover that on that day many will say to me Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons and do mighty works in your name then I will declare to them I never knew you depart from me you workers of lawlessness comes back to the Ten Commandments. What could be worse than hearing these from Jesus' words? When you're walking through the great cloud of witnesses and you see that white throne, I've, I've wrestled myself. Would, would Jesus say to me, depart from me, I never knew you, Tom. And I'm saying, God, I do not want that to happen. 
and, and, and let me say this, it's not this, we're not trying to make everyone fearful. Like God is not a God of fear where he's like, just be afraid every moment you wake up. Like it's, no, 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 no. Understand what you're saved from because then you revere him. You walk and you're saying, God, you are almighty. This is unbelievable. Thank you so much. And then you're saying, How, what do I do to become more like you? And you're saying, God, I'm, I'm working this out. Was my day like you today? And then what do I do? Was what, was what I did righteousness as an ambassador for your kingdom? The, love, the, the fear of God keeps us from sinning. The love of God promotes us to share his word. The, the fear of God keeps us from sinning and the love of God promotes us to, sh- to share his word or, or at least it energizes us to share his word. And so there's gotta be a balance. There's gotta be a balance. Thinking about today, let me ask you, do you feel some form of reverence today? Do you feel some form of confidence maybe? What we do with this revelation de- determines where we spend eternity. You can see the picture of hell, you begin to love your enemies. When you see the picture of eternity, your perseverance becomes the order of the day. When you picture Jesus, you can't help but be eternally grateful. So when you look at this, this story, and you can see this amazing scandal of grace that Jesus gave to us, the first thing you fear is like, my goodness, I can't imagine life without you. I can't imagine this without you. So many Christians have forgot what they were saved from. And they walk around like, well, I'm blessed. Saved by grace, man. It's all good. And the enemy is just so pumped because he's like, I just shifted the truth. I just shifted the Ten Commandments. I just shifted it. Think of how he shifts the Great Commission, right? Go out. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the Holy Spirit. He says, well, just go out and be a good person to those people. Be a happy person to all those nations. Make sure you give them lots of stuff. Make sure you help them when they're needy. But we've got to make disciples, church. How do we do this? I want to show you four ways on how to do this. And then we'll pray together. And I'm going to do an altar call because I feel like this is super important. Last slide. Here's the four ways. Number one, confess your sins on earth so they don't go with you into eternity. There's something about that. You know, the Bible talks about confessing your sins one to another so that they shall be forgiven. Number two, make him Lord over your life. Be in relationship with him. There's something about his lordship which is super important. It's not enough to confess, but when you believe in in your heart, then what happens is he becomes your Lord. You look at him as your Lord, the person who is guiding your steps, not just as someone to run to when you feel like it's, it's negative going on in your life. Number three, rely on his grace to deny your flesh. Forgive and do what God has called you to do. You don't wanna go and stand before Jesus with unforgiveness in your heart. There's no way. That, that, that messes you up in life, let alone eternity. Number four, walk in his ways and do what he asked. Tell the world, make disciples and be busy. We've got to be busy with his kingdom agenda. We've got to be busy with what he's called us to do. What if you weren't ready today? What if the people at your workplace weren't ready? What if the people in in your apartment complex weren't ready? 
What's more important? What the newspaper says or the people around us? There's an amazing thing that God has done for us, church. I don't know about you, but I get so excited and, and, and blessed. And I'm saying, how else, how else do we do this? When you come to church, it's not about, okay, well, maybe there's a good word today. It's, Lord, we can glorify you in spirit and in truth. How can your word continually shape me? It's unbelievable. I want to show you the last thing, that, the slide with the, uh, with, the, with the boxes. This is how it works. Saved from, confess with your mouth. Saved to become, giving him lordship over your life. And saved to do, work under grace, to deny yourself and to walk his ways. You've, we've got to get all these things in our, in our hearts and in our actions. We've got to know what we're saved from. We've got to know what we've been saved to become, the righteousness of God in Christ. And we have to know what we're saved to do. Otherwise, the saving grace just stops. It's just become stagnant in our lives. We're just like, okay, well, I'm saved. Well, that's great. Thank you so much. And then we look outside in the world and we say, Lord, we're so pumped. We're not like those guys. Imagine not knowing. Shame, eh? It's a bit of a shame. When that four-year-old girl died from the Joburg Church, it rocked my heart. And, the, and the, the only thing I could think of was, Lord, thank you for having your word in her heart. Thank you for giving your parents that cared about her eternity. Thank you for giving her people around her that spoke the word of life to her. Are you that person? If people around you today died, would they be ready? Or would God say, hey, I had so much more for you to accomplish? Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.